Awesome news! I have the name and the launch date for the new show. It is going to be called Crime Lines. I'm going to do what I've been doing on Insight, walking through the timeline leading up to a crime, the crime, and then the aftermath. The episodes will begin on May 5th. Now, how do you subscribe to the new show? If you're subscribed and listening to this right now, you're already subscribed. The new show will be in this feed, so it couldn't be simpler to just stay subscribed and check out the new show called Crime Lines. I've also been asked a lot about Patreon. I am keeping Patreon going. You will get ad-free episodes and still get those monthly bonus episodes. The first bonus episode for Crime Lines is actually going to come out in April, so you'll be the first to hear the new show if you subscribe on Patreon. I'm really excited to get the show going and to bring it to you guys. You'll see the new logo soon. Social media is going to be changing over in the next few weeks. I really think it's going to be great, and I really appreciate all the support as all these changes have been happening. So on to tonight's show. On November 6, 2011, Julia Barakova walked away from her car with her daughter Miley in search of gas. She left her two-year-old son sleeping in his car seat. When she returned to the car over an hour later, her son was missing. Some wonder if he was in the car at all. Over seven years later, we are still asking, where is Sky Metalwalla? Welcome to Insight. I'm Charlie, and with me tonight is my good friend Colleen, the host of Misconduct. How are you? I am good. I'm really excited to be co-hosting this episode with you. So tell me a little bit about your show. I'm pretty interested in it because I'm also moving from a two-host show to a single host, which you've recently made that move. So tell me about your show. Yes. So Misconduct is a true crime podcast hosted by me, and every other Thursday I release episodes discussing resolved, unresolved cases, wrongful convictions, and miscarriages of justice. You can find Misconduct on Apple Podcasts or any podcatching app or on Twitter and Instagram at MisconductPod. Before we get started on tonight's case, I want to give an update on a cold case we covered back in December. I just read the news today. This episode doesn't come out for a week, so it's going to be old news by then. But the police have announced an arrest in the murders of Tracy Hollett and J.B. Beasley, We covered that case in December. If you remember, they had DNA from that scene. So they used familial DNA to identify a suspect. He is someone who is in his 40s now. He lives in the area. So he would have been in his 20s at the time. His name has never come up before, at least not publicly. But it also sounded from the articles like he's never been arrested before, so he wasn't even on their radar. In the episode, I mentioned that they were using the DNA that was found to rule people out. So the police really did believe that the DNA was that of the killer. And I think we're just going to have to see how this case goes as it makes it through the court system to get the full story on why they're so sure the DNA was from that night. And then what, if any, connection this man has to the murdered girls. And tonight's case is one of these cases that I've been following for a long time. 
every so often I think of this little boy and I look up to see where the case is. Unfortunately, it never seems to be any further along. Sky's father will give another interview here or there, but it doesn't seem like any new information has come out in a very long time. So let's back up and talk about Sky's family. So his mother is Julia Barakova, and his father is Solomon Metawala. They met when Julia was only 15 years old and Solomon was 21. They met at a gas station in 1997, and Solomon was immediately taken in by Julia's beauty. So Julia was Ukrainian and immigrated to the United States at the age of 12. She was in high school when she met Solomon, but they started dating shortly after meeting when he invited her to a party. Julia soon went to work at Solomon's family's restaurant, where pretty much everyone in his family worked. When Julia graduated high school a few years later, she became a naturalized U.S. citizen, and she and Solomon bought a condo together in Bellevue, Washington. Solomon was from Pakistan. In 2003, Julia said that Solomon's family started telling her that he was about to be deported. She wasn't clear on why he was going to be deported, but their lives in the United States were completely enmeshed. They had been together for about six years, and they worked together, and they owned a home together. Julia felt pressured to marry Solomon so he would be allowed to stay in the United States. I think the insinuation here being made by Julia is that she was more or less manipulated or maybe even tricked into marrying Solomon. The couple had a short ceremony at Solomon's parents' house. I think I read it happened in their kitchen, so it wasn't even, you know, in the living room. It was just a quick ceremony in February of 2003. Friends saw the couple enjoy a number of activities together, everything from cooking to yoga to running. But the relationship was also contentious. Julia accused Solomon of being controlling and later of abuse. Julia also did not get along with her in-laws. This is something that can always cause stress in a marriage. But imagine this one where they were working in the family business. So there was no separation from the in-laws who she didn't get along with. Then in 2005, Solomon became a born-again Christian, and he and Julia started attending church together. This only added to the conflict between Julia and her in-laws because Julia felt that her in-laws blamed her for taking their son away from his Muslim faith. And then things just started compounding on the couple. In 2007, Julia gave birth to their first child together, a daughter named Miley, And a year later, they bought an $800,000 home in Kirkland, Washington. Both of these are positives, but even good changes can come with stress. After a decade of living their lives together, doing what they loved, they had to adjust to the demands of a child. And the house that they bought, well, they hadn't sold their condo yet, so they were actually making two mortgage payments a month. For those who may remember 2008, it was the start of a pretty serious economic recession, and homes were losing value and becoming harder to sell. Businesses were also being hit hard as people stopped shopping and eating out as much. The family restaurant was already suffering from a competing business that had moved in a couple of years before, so their income was dependent on a restaurant that was failing, and they were trying to sell a condo that was losing value the longer they owned it. The financial stress was just building. When Julia found out she was pregnant again in early 2009, she was struggling at this point, so her doctor prescribed her antidepressants during her pregnancy. 
On September 6, 2009, Julia gave birth to her second child, a son named Skye. It was either shortly before or shortly after Skye's birth that the family moved back into the condo when their big, beautiful home that they had just bought was foreclosed on. When Skye was two months old, the family went shopping at a local Target. Solomon, Julia, and Miley went into the store and left a sleeping Skye in his car seat in the car. While shopping, they were paged over the intercom to come to the front of the store. Someone had walked past the car and saw little Skye crying in his car seat alone. The caller reported that it was very cold out, possibly as low as the teens. So it wasn't quite that cold, but it was 27 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about negative three Celsius, which is still very cold. It's not as cold to me as it would be to Colleen living in the Bay Area, but it's cold for a new baby. When the police arrived, the officer noted that Skye was covered with his blanket and he wasn't crying, but he was awake. He had Target customer service page the owners of the vehicle and Solomon and Julia went to the front of the store where they were met by police. They both admitted that they knowingly left Skye in the car. So this wasn't a case of, you know, just forgetting the baby. They just didn't want to disturb him while he slept. And they claimed that they were only in the store for about 20 minutes. But when security footage was pulled, it showed them in the store for nearly an hour with no one checking on Skye during that time. They only left after that time because they were paged. They were charged with reckless endangerment, but they retained custody of both the kids while their case made its way through the legal system. They were eventually given a deal where they would take parenting classes and serve a year of probation. And at the end of the probation period, if they didn't get into any more trouble, their charges would be dropped. Solomon later said that it was around this time that Julia's mental state deteriorated more rapidly. And it's interesting because I actually just read a study yesterday about one of the biggest risk factors for postpartum depression is depression during pregnancy, which I hadn't known before. And it also makes sense that Julia was struggling at this time for a number of reasons. I mean, she probably felt out of control, the demands of motherhood, the economy that was impacting them so hard, and then the charges of endangering Sky. You don't know how that's going to resolve. You don't know if you're going to keep custody of your kids. You don't know if you're going to go to jail. I mean, all of this would overwhelm anyone. She was postpartum, and the postpartum period can exacerbate a number of mental health issues like anxiety or obsessive-compulsive disorder. So it's not just depression. And also, she was in her 20s. There are a number of mental health conditions that have an average age of onset of the mid-20s. So any or all of these factors could have played into this. Solomon said that Julia began obsessively cleaning their condo upwards of three or four hours a day. Sometimes the family would eat outside just to keep the home clean. And Solomon wouldn't even want to sleep in the bed because he didn't want to mess up the sheets. 
Eventually, the neighbors started complaining about the noise from their condo, and it was from Julia vacuuming late at night. In 2010, when Skye was only about five or six months old, Julia was committed to a psychiatric hospital after telling Solomon that she dreamed of killing the children. And I think that this was a literal dream, not like she was planning on doing anything. But while she was there, she was diagnosed with severe obsessive compulsive disorder. She was not deemed to be a danger to herself or her children, and the psychiatrist did not believe her OCD would interfere with her ability to care for her kids. After her release from the hospital, things did seem to improve. The medication Julia was taking was helping, but things began to slide back downhill and they got worse than they had been before. Julia went back to obsessively cleaning the house for four or five or six hours a day. It's not clear if she had stopped taking her medication or if she just needed a medication adjustment. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. When I started my business, the one thing I kept in mind was that I wanted to treat every customer like family. To me, those are the kind of businesses that stand out. The first point of interaction most customers have with me is through my website. So I knew I needed a website that was user-friendly and comprehensive. Squarespace had everything I wanted. They had beautiful templates to choose from and tools that make it easy for me to give my customers exactly what they need with the ability to manage my business, inventory, and sales completely on the go. Squarespace analytics give me insight into where our customers are coming from, which helps me tailor our outreach to where it's most needed. And with a direct message feature on my contact page, my customers know I'm just a click away. I couldn't be happier with how Squarespace helped me get my business off the ground. Check out squarespace.com start for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code start to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that's squarespace.com start and use offer code start. So things with Julia were going downhill again. And according to Solomon, Miley began saying things like, I want to kill myself and I want to die. Not because she meant it. She was just a little girl. She was hearing Julia say it so often that she was copying it. But talking to Julia about it didn't help. She didn't think there was anything wrong. And so that's when Solomon decided it was time to end the marriage. And he says that he left, but he always intended to get custody of his children. One night when Julia was home alone with the children during their separation, she began texting Solomon saying she was miserable and she was going to end her life. So Solomon called the police. She was home alone with the kids and threatening suicide. He was really concerned. Now, Julia later said that the texts were sent to him just to get his attention. They were more manipulative than serious threats. But that night when police responded, she told them she was suicidal and she was taken to a psychiatric hospital where she was held since it was believed she was a danger to herself. So Julia at this point was very clearly a woman in crisis. After being held for treatment, Julia was released again, and the divorce continued. And rarely does a volatile marriage suddenly become an amicable divorce. So there was a major custody battle with accusations of abuse on both sides. And Julia's mental health absolutely came into play here. Julia would deny much of her documented psychiatric history, and she claimed that she didn't need the medications that were prescribed to her. And she also denied that she had been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. You can see why she would deny these things, though. She was afraid of losing custody of her kids. 
the truth is that the majority of parents with serious mental health issues can still be great parents if they have the right support of medication, treatment, sometimes occasional help from the other parent or extended family for respite. It's when we make people fear the stigma of mental illness that they try to hide their condition. They go off their medication so they can say they're not on medication. They stop therapy so that it can't be used against them in a custody battle. So the way our system is set up, we almost incentivize parents with mental health issues and even substance abuse concerns to avoid treatment. And that has serious consequences, which is what we're going to see here. But let's get back to their divorce. The accusations of abuse against each other continued. CPS investigated both sides, and all claims were eventually determined to be unfounded, even though Julia did have witnesses who heard Miley accuse Solomon of hitting her, hitting her mother and her brother. However, one of the accusations that Julia made against Solomon was for sexually abusing Miley. So while he was being investigated, he was barred from seeing either of his children. Except for seeing them at a doctor's visit in April of 2011, he did not see the children for about a year leading up to Skye's disappearance. Though all of the abuse accusations were unfounded, Julia was given full custody of both children in September of 2011. I have to wonder if the independent witness testimony still went against Solomon. But he was granted visitation, and the couple sat down with a mediator to set the schedule in October. Solomon's first visit with his children was scheduled for November 9th, 2011. Three days before the visit on a Sunday, Julia said that two-year-old Sky woke up pretty sick, and she was concerned enough that she loaded him and four-year-old Miley into the car to drive them to the hospital so he could be seen by a doctor that day. The route she took from her home to the hospital was an unusual one. She went down lesser-used side streets in a not-so-great part of town. It was in one of these not-so-great parts of town that Julia said she ran out of gas. She was able to get the car pulled over, and Skye was sleeping. She double-checked that he was secure in his car seat and then left him there while she took Miley to walk to the gas station to get help. Julia and Miley showed up at a Chevron station about a mile down the road. She walked around a bit, she called a friend, and in the phone call to the friend, she asked if she could get a ride back to her car. Now, what she didn't do is more significant here. She did not buy a gas can. She did not buy any gas. She didn't call AAA or anything you would have expected. And she didn't ask her friend to bring gas or loan her the money for it either. By the time Julia, her friend, and Miley got back to their car, it was a bit over an hour from when she said she had left, and when they got there, Skye was missing. The police were immediately called, and they searched a 20-block radius from the car for any clues as to the whereabouts of Skye. The car doors were left unlocked, but it's not believed Skye was able to get out of his car seat or out of the car without assistance. And Julia was clear that she double-checked that he was secure in his seat when she left him in the car. Immediately, police were suspicious of the story that Julia was telling. She was worried about her son enough to take him to the doctor 
doctor on a Sunday, but not worried enough about leaving him alone in a car for over an hour. Julia also didn't have the things that you would take with you to the doctor. She didn't have her purse or her wallet, and she also didn't have her cell phone on her. So while police thought that was suspicious as a mom, I actually don't find that too suspicious. When my youngest had a really bad bout of croup this winter and I knew I had to get him to the doctor for breathing treatment, I almost walked out the door in my pajamas without the diaper bag with just like a key in my hand. You really get singularly minded when you're worried like that. But that doesn't explain leaving him alone in the car for over an hour if you're so concerned that you left your house without your purse or your cell phone. When questioned, Miley confirmed that her brother was in the car that morning, but she was four years old. They are incredibly impressionable, and we know Julia had a lot of time alone with her to talk to her about saying whatever she needed her to say. And I know my five-year-old has pretty much no concept of anything except right now. He will say tomorrow when he means yesterday or a week ago or seven months in the future. Time just doesn't have the same meaning to a four-year-old. So while this might seem like it says Sky was definitely in the car, I mean, we're talking about a four-year-old. Julia did consent to a search of her home and her computer, and also a search of the car which belonged to her brother. So the car had actually not run out of gas. It had a few gallons left in the tank. Additionally, the car started immediately when police tried it, and they drove it around for a while to try and recreate any type of issue that would have forced Julia to pull over and walk for help, but they found no mechanical issues with the car. The search of the computer showed Julia was on a website looking for a sugar daddy, which keeps getting mentioned in the media, but the relevance is lost on me. One commentator on Headline News said that perhaps she wanted to be more desirable on the site by not having Sky, but not having Sky around did not make her child free. She still had Miley. So I think this may have been something that was picked up by the media as more of a sensational detail with little tie to Sky's disappearance. Something that may be a little more relevant was the search of Julia's social media accounts. She posted more pictures of Miley on Facebook than she did of Skye, and from what has been said, it wasn't a small difference. She mainly had pictures of Miley and very few of Skye. This could point to her feeling a stronger connection to Miley, which wouldn't be a surprise, considering that Skye was born when she was really struggling with her mental health. And then she dealt with an early separation from him when she was hospitalized, and then the stress of the divorce. So these things can interfere with parental bonding. There was nothing on the computer, as far as we know, that looked like Julia had hurt Skye. None of those searches that we hear about on other high-profile cases, like ways to kill people or ways to dispose of a body. I mean, people do look those things up before they kill people. Nothing like that was on here. There was no smoking gun on the computer that we know of. And all we really learned was that Julia was interested in dating a man with money, and she seemed to favor her older child. So Julia was brought to the police station to make a full statement, but when she got there, she refused to make any statement. She wouldn't answer any questions, and she called her lawyer. When her attorney showed up, he basically repeated Julia wasn't speaking to the police anymore. She wasn't going to submit to a polygraph that they asked for. She was just too distraught to do any of this. And then Julia left. She just went home. 
Investigators were completely stunned. They had never before had the mother of a missing child refuse to talk to them. She was the last person to see Skye, and she was the only one in the area, but she wouldn't give any statement about what she saw that day. The story at the scene of the supposed disappearance is all they've ever gotten from Julia over the last seven years. Solomon was called around noon and told that his son was missing. He said he was in such a shock that thinking back, he can't even remember his reaction or what he thought immediately on getting the call. He went in for a statement and a full interview with authorities, a couple with such a contentious custody battle going on, Solomon had to be looked at closely by investigators. He took a polygraph, but the results were inconclusive. And then he took a second polygraph, but these results have been withheld from the public. Investigators also did a knock and talk at the apartment complex where the family lived. Julia and the children often wouldn't leave the house for weeks, so it had been at least two weeks since someone other than Julia had seen Skye. The International Business Times cited someone close to the investigation as saying that a neighbor saw Miley and Skye outside of their apartment closer to three weeks before he was reported missing. When Solomon gave an interview a few years after the disappearance of Skye, his recollection was that they couldn't find anyone outside of Julia's family who had seen Skye in more like six months, even though neighbors had seen him within about two or three weeks. So it's possible Solomon just isn't remembering correctly, or he may not fully be aware of the timeline. In statements to the press, police were open from the start that Julia's story was inconsistent with the evidence. So when the chief was pushed on this a bit, this inconsistent with the evidence line, he came out and said they believed she was lying. Two weeks after these statements, someone claiming to be Julia emailed ABC News. The email called Solomon a sadistic Muslim Pakistani and claimed he was the one who was lying. Solomon said the email looked consistent with the language Julia would use when referring to him, but it's impossible to 100% verify where these emails came from. Julia has made no official statement to the media. Less than a week after Skye's disappearance, a ransom note was sent to the Facebook page created to gain exposure for the case. The note said Skye was alive and demanded $25,000 be transferred to them for his safe return. It included a threat about cutting off his fingers and mailing them to the family, and it was signed The Watcher. The note was considered to be a hoax from the start, and in part because a very similar ransom hoax had been attempted in the case of Patty Krieger just a week or so before. Patty Krieger had been hiking with her boyfriend and some friends in Skagit County, Washington, in October of 2010. As everyone was heading down the mountain, Patty started going down the wrong trail along with her dog, Bear. They say that they called to her, but she kept walking, so they assumed that she knew where she was going. These trails often intersect further down. So they assumed that that was the case with this one and that they would eventually meet back up with her. They waited at the bottom of the trail before going back to look for her, but she and Bear were gone. Three weeks later, Bear was found on the mountain. He was malnourished, but alive, and he was several miles from where Patty was last seen. So 13 months after the disappearance, Patty's son received a ransom email that was similar to what Skye's Facebook page would receive a week or two later. 
So Patty's son emailed back and forth with the person demanding the ransom and was able to trace the IP back to Ghana. The emailer also mixed up Patty's pronouns, calling her a him, and it became pretty obvious this was a hoax. This email was signed The Keeper, whereas Skies was signed from The Watcher, but that has that same feel, that same creepy feel. And so much was the same that it really does sound like this was a scam to try to get money from families who had high-profile missing people in their families. Patty, by the way, remains missing. Her son questions the story told by his mother's boyfriend and his friends, but the sheriff says there's no sign of foul play. Now, Patty's full case is on my list to cover in an upcoming episode. But let's get back to Skye's story. Miley was taken into CPS custody in the wake of Skye's disappearance, and Julia was given supervised visits, and Solomon was finally able to start seeing his daughter twice a week. After about six weeks, Miley was returned to Julia's care, but a year after Skye's disappearance, the final custody and divorce judgment was made, and it was determined that Solomon would get full custody of both kids. It's unclear if Julia gets any visitation or what the terms of that are. Over 2,500 tips have been pursued, and police reported that they spent about $2 million on the search for Skye, but no charges have been filed. Some have asked why Julia wasn't at least charged with endangerment for leaving Skye in the car alone, but I think the prosecutors are kind of between a rock and a hard place there. If Julia was responsible for Skye's disappearance, it's likely he was never in the car that day at all. And how do you prosecute someone for leaving a baby in a car when you are not sure if he was ever there? So let's go ahead and talk about the theories in this case, though obviously the police have their number one theory, and it's probably what everyone listening to this is thinking, that Julia had something to do with Skye's disappearance. Right. So the police named Julia a person of interest in Skye's disappearance, and they've also said that they suspect foul play. It does seem like an awfully big coincidence that Skye went missing just three days before Solomon was supposed to start his visitation schedule. It's been widely reported that Julia was a Law & Order fan, and the night before Skye was reported missing, a rerun of a Law & Order SVU episode called Missing Pieces Played. In the episode, according to pretty much everyone, a woman in the middle of a custody battle claimed her car was stolen with her baby inside when she had, in fact, actually murdered the baby. But you guys, that's not the plot of this episode. Trust me, I know these things. The couple was not in a custody battle and they didn't murder the baby. So the baby died of SIDS and they didn't think anyone would believe them because they had an unstable relationship. And they also kind of suspected maybe the other one had done something. So they staged the car being stolen to cover up the death as a whole, but also to cover for each other in their weird dysfunction. You know, it's fine. I don't expect everyone in the media to know every Law & Order episode as well as I do. But there is a thing called Google, so whatever, they could have looked it up. Anyway, the theory here is that the car theft to cover up a death gave Julia an idea, and she decided to adapt it to cover up whatever happened to Skye. Skye may have already been missing at this point. We basically have a three-week window where he could have actually disappeared, not just the day that he was reported missing. Perhaps he was really sick at some point, and Julia didn't take him to the doctor. She hardly left the house for any reason. And if Skye died due to some sort of medical neglect, she would risk 
risk losing custody of Miley to Solomon, and that would be a pretty big motivation to cover up his death. Another theory is that she did kill Skye to keep him away from Solomon, and her social media pictures being almost all of Miley and very few of Skye made investigators question her attachment to him. Solomon has said in a number of interviews that he cannot consider this possibility. He will not lose hope that his son is alive. Shortly before Skye was reported missing, Julia's father had visited from Ukraine. Solomon hoped he had somehow brought Skye back to Ukraine with him, but the police said they followed this lead to the end, and Skye did not leave the country with his grandfather. The other hope Solomon has is that Julia gave him to a friend, though it's unlikely a friend would have withstood the intense pressure on this case and the media attention. But if it was more of an underground adoption of Sky, maybe they could have. The theory Julia has put forward, you know, as much as she said anything, is that Solomon is behind this. Solomon also has ties to a foreign country where he could have sent Sky. And there was one statement made to the media that Julia was already trying to reschedule the visit that they had agreed to. And perhaps Solomon was angry about this. But this theory quickly falls apart. First, Solomon was about to get his visitation back with his children within days, and that was the first step towards reestablishing his custody fight in court. Sending Skye to Pakistan would mean that he would hardly ever get to see his son, who he was in the middle of fighting for custody of. This would also mean that he was following Julia that day, saw her pull over, and took Skye from the car when she walked away. And he did so undetected while leaving no evidence. If he was following her, it would have made way more sense for him to just call 911 and report it because that would have gone a lot farther in his custody battle for both of his children. And the last theory is the abductor theory that someone happened to come across Sky alone in the car and not a good Samaritan who would have called the police like the person at Target had done. I think this theory is incredibly unlikely. If this is what happened, Julia would have nothing to lose by talking to the police. So, yeah, okay, don't take the polygraph. It's not really a great idea to take them anyway. They're notably unreliable, and certainly less so with someone who is distraught. We don't know what type of psychiatric medication Julia may have been taking at this time but she could have at least answered the police questions. And everyone knows that I'm pretty desperate to try to think of all sides to these issues, give people pretty much any out. So I've asked myself if there is another valid reason that Julia would not want to speak to the police other than that she's guilty of something related to her son's disappearance. So I considered where she was from, She spent her formative years in the USSR. She was nine when Ukraine voted to leave and the USSR fell. We don't know her or her family's experiences there with police. You know, so perhaps she has a distrust of the police that goes deep. But I'll admit that I feel like I'm reaching here more than a bit. I mean, her distrust of the police would have to supersede all concern for her son. And I have a hard time going that far with it. 
Yeah. I don't want to think that a mother would, you know, favor a child over another or hurt her own child, but there's just not another explanation that makes any sense to me. I think the likelihood of an abduction is slim to none because, I mean, because what are the chances someone who wanted to kidnap a two-year-old just happened to cross sky during, you know, that hour period that he was left alone in this car, if you go by what Julia had said. I don't think that Solomon would risk all the progress he made with his custody battle with Julia. I just think that the point that sticks with me is that no one can confirm that they saw Sky in the, like the three weeks leading up to Julia reporting him missing. And in my gut, I just feel like something had to happen to him, whether it be, you know, accidental or on purpose. And the roadside abduction is just staged by Julia to cover up whatever happened. Unfortunately, Julia's involvement in Sky's disappearance is just, to me, the only thing that makes any sense. I agree. And I think it's very difficult for me to even say he was in the car that day. It definitely feels like a staged scene, a poorly staged scene, too. She didn't even drive around until she just ran out of gas, which I'm not saying I'm a criminal mastermind, but I would have probably done that if I wanted to stage that I ran out of gas. So it feels like this is very disorganized. This is very slapped together. It doesn't feel like there was a lot of logical thought into it. So my guess is that Julia's state of mind wasn't the most stable it could have been during this time, that there may be something more going on and that her mental health issues played into whatever happened. But in the end, I mean, we're talking about a two-year-old boy who's still missing. His father still gives interviews as requested by the media, but he mostly is just focusing on raising his daughter. He's active on social media trying to keep awareness for Sky just out there so that people are still looking for him and still remembering that he's missing. In 2014, Julia remarried and had another son the following year. After his birth, social services were called from the hospital when a care provider felt that Julia was unstable and that the baby would not be safe in her custody. Her relationship with her new husband was violent, and he was in jail at the time of the baby's birth due to an assault on Julia while she was pregnant. Four months after the initial contact with CPS, they moved to have her declared unfit, and she refused a psychiatric evaluation. Cases like this are confidential to protect the privacy of the minor children. Julia was seen with custody of her son in September 2016 when Crime Watch Daily went to her home for a statement. And by the way, the woman who wouldn't speak to the police about her son Sky did not hesitate to call them on the Crime Watch Daily reporter. But in February 2019, so not long before we're recording this, Julia was in court testifying against her second ex-husband, who was the father of her second son, for violating a no-contact order. She was asked under oath if it was true that she was only allowed supervised visitations with her son, and she testified that that was true. So she did lose custody at some point. And that's where the story ends, for now at least, without Julia talking to someone, anyone. It'll take finding Skye to open this case up. For a while, when I saw that she had remarried, I hoped that maybe she told her new husband what happened and when their relationship broke up, he would talk. But so far, that's not been the case. When Sky went missing, Julia reported that he was wearing a gray or green hooded sweatshirt, blue and black striped sweatpants with an elastic band, and white socks. 
But again, that's what Julia said. We don't know. There is an age progression photo available, and if anyone has information on Skye's disappearance, you can call the Bellevue Police Department at 425-577-5656. 